You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. How many of you had some family show up at your house this week? How many of you had so many show up at the house, you didn't feel like the house was big enough? How many of you felt like you ought to add some square footage on the house to accommodate all the people that keep showing up at your house when the family gathers? Are you following me? Yeah, we look around. We've got a lot of family that keeps showing up here at Harvest. And uh, I want to let you know you're all welcome in the family. And I want to let you know this morning is going to be a little different. We're just going to keep the family chat going. I know that many of you had families show up. How many of you had grandkids crawl all over you this week and got like some sweet potato pie in your hair and all that stuff? Well, that's the same atmosphere that I want to continue here. Uh, Let me just give you a little roadmap to where we're going. Um, Very quickly, let's just keep the family chat going. I will act like I am the patriarch of the family. I'm the grandpa around here and all the kids have shown up and and I'm going to let you spread some sweet potato pie on me uh, this morning. So let's just keep that atmosphere here this morning. I'm going to try to be seated throughout this entire, that probably won't happen, but I'll try my best. And as we do around here every week, a couple of things. First of all, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll meet you there in just a moment. If you're new here at Harvest, this is always a weekend. We're uh, joined by uh, extended family from some of our family. We want to get to know you, and the vehicle for that is called the register. We tuck this away strategically on the far left-hand side side of every row. And if you sat on the far left-hand side of every row, you are an important person around here because it's your job to take this out and to start it down your row. The reason we do this is we want to get to know the family. We want to know when the family shows up. It gives you an opportunity to communicate to us how we can pray for you. And so take advantage of that. If you are new at Harvest, right after this service, if you'll take a left, there is a guest reception waiting for you along with a pastor that would love to greet you, give you a gift and answer any question you might have about what goes on around here. So what we want to do here this morning, first of all, let me tell you what's coming next week. Okay. So next week starts the month of December. And if you're a regular around here, you know that we've finished the last sermon series, which was called Oh, now that's depressing to the pastor that nobody can remember the Nailing the Gospel series that we finished with the five solas. Now next week, so the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do, okay? Starting next week, we are going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. All right? Now let me give you a warning. The Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. I have reduced it to 68 sermons. (laughs) And I worked hard at that, okay? 
And I, I, so this is what we're going to do for the next two years, basically, we're going to study the gospel of Luke, okay? And I'm serious, we're going to get started next week, so bring your Bible. You might have, you, you want to read through the gospel of Luke to get a head start on that. You can check me for accuracy, okay? But that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a great time. We're going to celebrate the Christmas season. We're going to launch uh, into what we call Behold. There are some things that Luke wants us to behold about our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to keep the family chat here this morning. Uh, we are going to look at some scripture here this morning. We're going to be challenged in relation to our uh, community, our commitment, our involvement here at the church. Um, and uh, we're going to get excited about that. I want to give you a, a warning, a little disclaimer here. We are going to talk about money this morning. If anybody would like to leave now, you are free to leave. Uh, we're just going to kind of see what uh, the Bible has to say about some of our money and some of our investment. And it would be ridiculous to think that I, the church is the only thing in the community not talking about money because you got a stack of Black Friday ads and you spent money this week. And if you think somehow we're going to get by without talking about money, that we're just not going to do that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I want to give you uh, some reason to be thankful. Thanksgiving is not just an emotion. You know, it is not enough just to be thankful. That's an emotion. Thanksgiving is an action. It's an intentional, intentional conscious choice to thank God for what he has given to us. And so if you remember back... Uh, all the way almost a year ago. We began 2018 um, talking about some of our needs for some expansion around here and because so many people are showing up. And we looked at that's a common problem actually when God begins to give growth to his church. And we saw this verse over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that really became a theme verse for us. It says this, for it is all for your sake. All the ministry that goes on around here, all of the death defying risk-taking discipleship activity that goes on around here is all for your sake. And you have benefited from people that have given their lives to make disciples around here. Why do we do that? It's all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, there's our word, to the glory of of God. It's not about a church. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a pastor. It's not about anybody's name, but Jesus Christ is exalted over all of it. And so I want to kind of review some of that with you. And I want to give you some reason. I want to spark some thankfulness in your heart right now that would spark some thanksgiving to God about what he is doing in the fact that more and more and more people are getting the grace of God, thanksgiving to God. Let's watch this. Earnest prayer is that with every visit to Harvest, each of us would know that there's so much more to this life than just existing or chasing our own dreams. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he said that he has come that we might live abundantly full lives. There's more to this life than most people experience. We're on a mission to radically disrupt this norm. That's why we're passionate about making thriving disciples of Christ. It brings us great joy to glorify God in this way. It's our reason for being a church and it's our heart's desire. 
Our souls long for more, so we worship. And when you find Christ in the soul satisfaction that He brings, you want to do more to carry out His great commission. This little cornfield in northern Indiana was originally established for a certain type of growth and produce. Now, we seek a different kind of healthy harvest. We are convinced that God's designs for this little patch of land is much more than the original farmers could ever have imagined. It was made for more. This field was made for more, but so are you, and so are others. It's not about a field or a campus or a building. It's not just about more for the sake of more. It's about leveraging all that we have for all that He is. To be sure, we're not repaying Him, for we never could. He's shown us more love than we could ever imagine. Now we're just responding with more love to Him, more love to others here in Michiana, and using this fuel to prepare us to send more of Christ's love to a lost world. There's more awaiting us. There's more work to be done. More people need to know what you already know, and that is, you are loved. be to God. Would you like to express your thankfulness to the Lord? I trust that as you gave thanksgiving to God over the course of the last few days, when somebody asked you, asked you, what are you thankful for? I trust that somewhere in the top five, somebody said, I am thankful for my church. I am thankful that somebody loved me enough to teach me the gospel. I'm thankful that somebody encourages me to worship the Lord and to give my heart on a weekly basis to the things that matter most. That's what we are all about around here. And so whether you're part of the very core of our church or you're brand new to the church coming in from the outside, we want you to, to benefit from all that's going on around here. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, how many of you actually were the ones that shopped for the Thanksgiving groceries you bought the turkey, you got up early on Thursday morning, and you were the one that stuck the bird in the oven. You set the table and you prepared the meal while everybody else was just kind of looking from the outside in. I want to acknowledge those people. If you are the person that prepared the bird, you set the table, you bought the groceries, you hosted the family. Look at these people right here. How many of you are thankful that those people did that? Yeah, that's good. Well, here's the thing. 
If you could just kind of crawl inside of the preacher here for a few minutes. See, this is the way I view the church too. There are some people at Harvest Bible Chapel that prepared the bird, okay? We set the table that we spent our whole week or maybe the, this morning when the worship team arrived at 6 a.m. when you were just, you know, scraping the eye boogers out of your eyes this morning while people were actually thinking about this is, we got to prepare the meal. We got to serve the table because we love these people and we need to get the groceries into them. See, there's, there's kind of some different levels of commitment to church. I mean, there's the people that prepare the table and then there's the people that actually consume the meal and then there's the people that actually clean up while everybody else is going home to watch football. See, there's different levels in involvement to the church. No matter, no matter what stage you're at, we, this, is, this is who we are. We are the gospel community of Harvest Bible Chapel. And I want to invite you, no matter where you're at, to take a deeper step into the core as we continue as a church. Are you aware of all of the gospel-oriented disciple-making activity that goes on in this building? Our ministry is stretching this facility. Anytime you talk about church facilities, we, we understand the church is not the facility. What does the church facility do? It facilitates. Get how that works in the English? The facility facilitates the discipleship ministries that go on around here, and we're stretching it. As you know, next week, we are going to have to worship in four shifts instead of three shifts. We're doing everything that we can to use the facility that God's given us to make disciples around here. So in case you haven't heard, you're going to have to pick another time to come to church uh, next week. If you come at 945, you're going to be late for the 930 service or early for the 11 o'clock service. We could think of it that way or the 1230 service. And some of you aren't aware that we actually have an eight o'clock service. So pick a service, but don't come at 945 next week because we're worshiping in shifts. And by the time you get here, there's a whole army of people that have prepared uh, for you to be here. Uh, there are people here that have given their lives to lead small groups. There are people here that are in a small group and you're so connected to that group because that's your family. Uh, there's people here that are uh, living on mission to be sent to places where the gospel needs to go. We, this past year, we sent people to St. Joseph, Michigan. We launched a new church up there. We're trying to send many of you that live in Elkhart County to go plant Harvest Bible Chapel in Elkhart County. And we want to send you out of here. But God is increasing the number of people grace is extending to more and more people and it's it's resulting in thanks going to God for the glory of God some of you aren't aware of even things that happen outside the walls of our church our church is a very key leading influence in our collective of churches called the Great Commission Collective. We use the acronym GCC. You have to distinguish that from our friends at Granger Community Church, but we're a part of the Great Commission Collective, about 120 churches worldwide that's committed to strengthening and multiplying and planting local churches around the world. And our church is a leading influence in that. I want you to give thanksgiving for what God is using our church to do even beyond the walls. And I want you to be aware of it. Watch, watch this video about the Great Commission Collective. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. Let me say that again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's why GCC exists. Because we know that to be part of something that huge, you can't just sit in your own corner, in your own building, and ask God to help us grow. That's not the end game. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the end game. And that speech on a mountain in Galilee, that was a command. And we're responsible to carry it out. So responsible, it's where we got our name. So what makes a great commissioned church? How do we go therefore so that the glory of the Lord can fill the earth? Fervent prayer, seeking the Lord with humble hearts, praying at all times in the spirit, bold preaching, fearlessly proclaiming the truth of God in demonstration of the spirit and power because the faith of the people isn't in us, but in the power of God. Passionate worship, joining with every tribe and tongue, because the hour is now here to worship the Father in spirit and truth. Purposeful disciple-making, to equip the saints, speaking the truth in love, so we can pursue Christ-likeness together with his followers, and nothing less than courageous evangelism invading the darkness of a lost world because the harvest is plentiful and we are the laborers. And yes, strategic church planting, irresistible communities committed to worshiping and sending because Christ has built his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise. So what we're doing isn't just a responsibility, it's a privilege. And there's no way we're gonna miss out on being part of that. Thanks be to God for what he's doing around the world. And listen, everything you're seeing on the screens and everything we're talking about doesn't just happen. It is dependent upon a core group, a committed, a compelled, a courageous group of people that see church as not just one of the peripheral activities of their lives, but see church as the very centerpiece of their time, of their life. Those of you that actually spent Thanksgiving with people in the church, and, and those of you that, that actually release your grip on money that could be used for Black Friday shopping. You couldn't do that because you'd thrown it into the kinds of activities that happened on the screen. And so we want to see an example of that in the scripture this morning. And so let me invite you again to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And um, notice here, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Okay, I want you to see verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
Paul understood that the key to reaching the world was the local church. And so he was a church planter that strengthened and multiplied these churches throughout the world. Now, here's what you have to understand before uh, you can understand what he's about to tell us, okay? He identifies in this text three different churches. Now, the first is, is implicit. He's writing to the church in Corinth, an actual ancient city in Corinth, and um, they were known as the Corinthians. And so we've got three sections here. Let's just represent these three churches by this. Let's pick this section over here. You guys this morning are going to be the Corinthians, okay? Now, by the way, that's not a compliment. Okay, because the Corinthians were jacked up. All right, they the, the longest letters we have in the New Testament are written to the Corinthians because they had so many issues. They had relational issues, spiritual issues, and just they were just so messed up. But here's the thing: they were sitting on a pile of resources. They had financial wealth. And so as the church was established in Corinth, Paul is trying to motivate these people to get a vision beyond themselves and to help advance the gospel into other places. So you guys get to be the Corinth, the Corinthians today. And this was written to you guys that are sitting on all the cash. Okay. Now the second church that he's going to identify is the churches in Macedonia. We saw it there in uh, in verse uh, in verse one, so we'll take this center section. You guys get to be the Macedonians, okay? Now the Macedonians, that is a compliment to you guys because he identifies this supernatural, mind blowing generosity that this group of people had, even though they were dirt poor. They couldn't even afford the dirt. They were just poor, okay? They didn't have a lot of resources. The Bible, the Bible says that they were, they were impoverished. They, poverty, you're just below the poverty line. And yet Paul says that these people were incredibly generous. The third church is gonna be represented by the church over here. You guys are the church in Jerusalem. You guys are the first church, okay? So this is where the gospel came originally. Jesus came to Jerusalem and the church was born. The apostles, 120 in the upper room and then it expanded to 3,000 then 5,000. Read all about that in the book of Acts. And you guys were committed to being sending churches to plant churches all over the world. There's a church in Granger because the church in Jerusalem decided to take what they had and get it out to the world. In other words, the Macedonian church was planted because of the faithfulness of the people in Jerusalem. The Corinthian church was planted because of the faithfulness of the church in Jerusalem. So Paul sets these three churches up and he says, I want you guys, he's writing to you guys, the Corinthians, to know about the Macedonians, how they gave to the church in Jerusalem. Got it? So here it is, verse two. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you guys. Good job, good job. Listen, only in a Christian will you ever find those two things existing at the same time. Overwhelming joy 
extreme poverty. How does that happen? It's a miracle of the grace of God that would enable people to have joy when they realize their happiness and their security is not found in money. Their joy was rooted in something you couldn't touch and couldn't see. And so he uses their example. Verse 3 says, for they, you guys, they gave according to their means as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. In other words, nobody forced them, nobody twisted their arm, nobody laid out a slick, you know, campaign that would motivate them to give. He's like, this is, they just wanted to do it. Then verse four says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, you guys, the relief of the saints over in Jerusalem. He says that they begged, do you see in verse four? It says, they begged Paul to take an offering. Now listen, I have led thousands of church services. I've never been in one where people actually begged to take the offering. But these people, they, they wanted to give of their own accord. So verse 5 says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's real quick, some, some giving principles that we all should be familiar with. And if you're a part of this church, probably already doing all this. If you're kind of new to the church, here's kind of where we want you to get to. First of all, give yourself first to God. You see the offering that God wants is not money. Please hear me. If you're getting nervous about the preacher talking about money in church, please just listen, just listen, listen, listen. God doesn't need your money. Really? You really think God needs your money? God doesn't need you. God doesn't want your money. What God wants is you. If we were to take the offering that God wants this morning, do you know what we would have to pass down the aisles? Body bags. God doesn't want what's in your wallet. God wants you. He wants all of you. He wants you to recognize the greatest thing you could do is to give yourself to God. And guess what? When God gets you, do you know what else he gets? You're just not even going to say the M word in church? God gets your money. God gets your time. God gets your mind. God gets your kids. God gets your marriage. God gets your sin. God gets your dysfunction. And he wants all of it. Just give it, just give it all to him. What are you holding on to? Loosen your grip. Give yourself to God first. And then it says these Macedonians, after they first gave themselves, then by the will of God they gave to us. So they gave tangibly an offering. So not only give yourself first, but give to God first. Here's what I mean by that. The, the secret to generosity is in the sequence. I am looking into the faces of people who all want to be generous. You do. You, you want to be more generous than you are? Yeah, everybody in here wants to give. Everybody in here wants to make things happen that need money to, to fund those, those missions. But the problem is not a lack of generosity. It's a problem, the, the problem is a lack of planning. 
okay? There's only four things you can do with money, okay? Consider this your financial uh, coaching for the year, okay? It's real simple. There's only four things you can do with money. Number one, you can make money. Some of you need to write that down. You can make money. All you do is you trade your time or you trade your talent for money. Somebody's willing to probably give you a paycheck if you'll spend a little time at their workplace, if you'll use your brain, if you'll use your creativity, you'll, you'll use your education. And they'll trade money for what you have to offer. And if you've got nothing, you just, you just get a minimum job, minimum wage job and you exchange your time for flipping a hamburger and you, you, you get money for that, okay? Some of you say, well, I don't have a job. Your job, 40 hours a week, is to look for a job. That's your job, okay? And until you have a job, that's your job, all right? So you can make money. Number two, you can spend money. Number three, you can save money. Number four, you can give money. So here's the secret to generosity. Once you've made some money and you're looking at it, your first impulse should be to give. Your second impulse should be to save. Your third impulse should be to spend. If you get the sequence wrong, not only will you not be able to be generous, you won't be able to be content or happy. Only generous people are content people. Studies have shown over and over and over. The only people who are content are the people who give first, save second, and spend third. If you get the order wrong, you'll never feel like you have enough money, even if you make a million dollars. So what you have to do is this. You have to know what you make, and then you have to create a gap between what you make and what you spend. And in the gap, you can give and you can save. You'll never be able to give until you spend less than you make. Somebody should inform the government of this little plan, okay? The problem is they're setting a horrible example for the rest of us and we think that we can get away with what the government can get away with and the problem is, is none of us can print money. So we've got to make money and then we gotta pay the taxes on the money to pay for the, anyway, that's another sermon. Anyway, so you give yourself first to God. Then you give to God first before you spend, before you save, you give. If you're like me, at the beginning of this week, my mailbox started filling up with all of the wonderful ministries informing me of all the wonderful things that they would like to do with my money this year if I would just send some of it to them. The problem is, is I can't send all of my money to all the different organizations, so I have to prioritize, okay? So when it comes to giving, I, I give to my church first. How many of you believe the pastor of the church should give to the church first? How many of you think that's a good plan for the pastor? Well, listen, the pastor thinks that's a good plan for you too, okay? 
And so before you start shoving money into those envelopes to all those wonderful other ministries, you need to give to your local church first. That's God's plan for reaching the world. And then for me, our family, we've supported a Life Action Missionary family for over 15 years. And so there's some of our money that goes toward Life Action. We also support Family Life Ministries, which is the ministry that we go and speak with for marriages and families across the country. So some of it goes there. And then we start looking for needs, families in the church, homeless boys living in homeless shelters that need to live in our house and be a part of our family. That's what we do. Transformation Ministry is another ministry that our church is partners with in downtown South Bend. You've seen the, 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 the Christmas store inventory out there that we're trying to expand. Today's the last day to, to, to uh, put something in the Christmas store. Maybe some of you need to run out to, the, to Walmart after this service and come back and throw something in the inventory there so that we can send that downtown so that the families through Transformation Ministries have something to do for Christmas. This is the way that we give before we save, before we spend, and this is a simple plan. So we give to God first, and then um, if we get back to my PowerPoint there, we give ourselves first to God, then we give to God first, then we give as a reflection of our growth. Look down here in the Bible at verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, notice the list of things that they were excellent in, in grace, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and all our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. What was this act of grace he's talking about? It's their giving. So Paul gives them a list of the, remember, they're talking to the Corinthians, so there's, they're, they, they're, they need help. So, but he notices they've grown. They've grown from good knowledge of the gospel to excellent knowledge of the gospel. They've grown from being able to speak well of the gospel to being able to speak excellently of the gospel. They've grown in their earnestness or their passion, their worship of the Lord to excellent passion. He's identifying all these things that they're excellent in, and then he identifies one thing they need to grow in. And what was it? It was in their giving. And in doing so, what he does is he acknowledges everybody can grow in their generosity. Everybody can grow in their giving. And giving is just simply another act of discipleship on our part. It's not isolated from anything else that you do. Giving doesn't just happen. Giving has to be taught. And giving is an act of faith. Giving is an act of repentance in response to the gospel. And then give to what matters most. Look at uh, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We should give to things that make others spiritually rich. Let me ask you this question. In your discipleship, in your surrender to the Lord, are you willing to be made a little more materially poor in order that others might be made spiritually rich? How would you answer that question? Are you willing to live with less so that others can live 
with Christ. That's what people do every week when they throw in the offering around here. It's not about a building. It's not about a budget. It's just about opening our hearts and our bank accounts to the Lord and saying, I can't consume all that you've given me on me. I'm willing to be made a little less materially rich so that others can be spiritually rich. We give to what matters most. And then we give what we promised. It's interesting here. It's interesting. Look in uh, verse, verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So apparently Paul had come through town to you Corinthians over there and the Corinthians like, yeah, boy, next time you come back, we've got, we're going to give. And, and, and so Paul says, Hey, remember that promise you made about a year ago? I'm coming back and it's time to throw in. So give what you've promised. And then he goes on and says, give out of what you have. This is simple. He says in verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So here, here's the great news. God does not expect you to give anything you don't have. If you don't have anything, you can't give anything. Some of you just like, wow, great, thanks, because that is me. All right, now before you jump to that conclusion, realize you're living in America. You're, you are part of the 1% richest people in the history of the planet. So before you start comparing yourself with somebody else in the room, you might want to compare yourself with the other 99% of the people that have ever lived in human history. Now, are you sure you don't have anything to give? The truth is, everybody has something to give. I was talking with... Uh, actually one of our staff members this past week and we were kind of talking what we were going to talk about in the sermon this week and he and we were talking about the the facility expansion campaign he's like yeah what really needs to happen is some of those people that have more than they need is they need to give i'm like wait 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 we all have more than we need and so it really is true yeah we all need to give. You can only give what you have. So here's the thing. You need to take inventory of what you have. A lot of us are so busy, we don't ever just take time to like get out the bank accounts, look at all the possessions in the house, look at even what our potential earning capacity is, and to say, out of all that God has given me, here's the question we need to ask. Once you total up everything you have, here's the question. Lord, what do you want me to keep? You say, Trent, don't you mean like, what do you want me to give? No, I mean this, it all belongs to God. So the question is not, what do you want me to give? The question is, what do you want me to keep? And I'll assume you want me to give away the rest. 
yeah, you guys responded just like the eight o'clock service. It's like nobody's breathing at this point. It's like, okay, if I move, he's going to think I'm supposed to like give it all away. Yeah, and God may call you to do some of that by the will of God. But for some of us, we have very little to give. For some of us, we have so much more than we need. And we need to look for places where God is at work and could use what you have to accelerate kingdom impact, great commission fulfillment, disciple-making ministries all overflowing to the glory of God. That's the way that we view what we have. You can only give out of what you have. Nobody expects you to give what you don't have. That's why the percentage giving really works great. The, prin the principle through scripture is tithing and whether or not you believe that's like New Testament or Old Testament or whatever, tithing 10%. Here's the deal. Somebody making $10,000 a year, 10%, $1,000. Somebody making a million dollars a year, 10%, $100,000. But you know what's interesting? The people that make the most actually by percentage give the least. Because they're like, $100,000, do you know how much money that is? Yeah, that's 10%. <laughs> Same answer as the guy making $10,000 a year. So know what you have. And come to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, where, where can I make an impact? And here's the last thing. Give in faith. And, and we see that here in verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and that you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, that's where the percentage giving thing comes in. It's just fair, 10%. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. So here it is, Corinthians They've got a need right now. And out of your abundance, you should give to their need, believing, you say, well, what's gonna happen to me if I need that money? Believing in faith that God knows when you have a need, God might use their abundance to meet your need. And it's really not dependent upon them, it's dependent upon God. Here's the reality, this is a hard statement, but listen. A lack of giving shows a lack of trust in God. I'm trusting in my money for my security or my happiness and my unwillingness to let go of it shows that I can't trust God for my security or my happiness. And so increase your faith and give as a demonstration, as an overflow of it, all right? So out of all of that, let me give you the family here, a little financial update. You wanna see what the family budget looks like? Here's the family budget, throwing it out here on the kitchen table. Family budget looks like this. We are about to enter uh, December 2018. And some of you that like to look at the scorecard in the back of the bulletin, do you look at the financial report in the back of the bulletin right there? You'll notice that we're about $150,000 behind in our budget. Now, two things, first of all, our church is committed not to spend what we don't have. So if the income is not there, guess what? We decrease our spending to, meet, to match the giving. <laughs> what a novel concept, right? So that's what we do around here. It's really crazy thought that we would do that. All right, so we haven't spent all that we planned on spending because the giving wasn't there, okay? But then I want you to notice this, all right? So that looks like, a, how, much, how many of you, $150,000 looks like a lot of money? Oh, good. Nobody raised their hand so that you guys have, that's not a big, so here's the deal. Last two years, same thing. This is typical. 40% of our income as a church comes in in December. All right. So this is kind of typical to be behind. In 2016, we entered December, 2016, $100,000 behind, and you guys gave $280,000. 
Last year in 2017, we were $80,000 behind. You guys gave over a half a million dollars. Let's do that again, okay? <laughs> let's, do, let's do it twice. Let's do it twice in December, all right? So that's just the general giving. Let's get caught up on that. If you're behind on your, on your giving, just get caught up on that. I got a letter from me this week uh, that told me what I had given. Did you get a letter from me? Good. So it tells you kind of what you've given. If that's wrong, let us know. We'll adjust it or whatever. But um, that just kind of is like, here's what you gave. If you were embarrassed by what you gave, get caught up in December, all right? Or if you'd like to get ahead, then do all that, okay? Okay. So that's one part of the, the, the family budget. Here's the other thing. Back in February, we announced to you the Made for More campaign. We're, we, we need more facility space, and we believe God's made us for more, and we showed you the rocket here, right? So we said it's going to cost about $6.2 million to build what we need around here. You see, how many of you saw the glorious mess in the parking lot? this morning, all right? How many of you uh, saw it last week? It was in worse shape last week, okay? So we fixed it up a little bit. Um, so, so it's all starting to happen, all right? And what that means is we're starting to get invoices, okay, for, for the construction, which means we need to pay that. So here was the plan. It's about $6.2 million. We said, look, we, we saved a million dollars to get started. That was our foundation. And then we ask you guys for $2.1 million in immediate gifts. So Here's what I have. Here's what I can give. And you guys responded to that. And uh, so here's the result. We started with a million already. And you guys gave a million dollars toward that $2.1 million immediate cash need, which means we still need another $1.1 cash on hand. The reality is this. We need another million dollars in the next three months in order to be where we need to be heading into the construction plan, okay? So what I'm gonna ask you to do is to give an immediate gift here at the end of the year, immediate year-end giving toward the church. And then we also talked about pledges. We ask you for $3.1 million in three-year pledges. So over the next 36 months, here's what we wanna give toward that. And you responded, $2.1 million pledged. And, but we were short, we still need another million dollars in pledges. And notice of all that's been pledged, $325,000 has been fulfilled. That's about 15% over the three years of fulfilling that. At this point, we really should be about 25%. So some of you are behind in your pledges and we're just great time to get caught up. Okay. So let's get all caught up in the general budget. Let's get caught up in what we pledged. But then also notice this just in cash terms, we still need about $4 million to complete this project. Okay. So what, what's getting ready to happen? Let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. Okay. So you know that behind this wall, there's three rooms. There's the guest reception office area. There's my office. And then there's the green room or the multi-purpose room in the next two weeks. All of that's going to get crushed under construction. I'm losing my office. We're losing that space. And then we're going to create a hallway actually on this side of the wall. Those of you that are seated along the wall over there, we're getting ready to crush you. And the, 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 there's going to be a hallway encroach into here. We're going to lose about 50 seats in this auditorium. <gasps> what are we going to do? Four services. That's what we're going to do. So we got to find a different place. The reason for that is the new restrooms are going to go behind that wall, and we need to have access into the restrooms. Okay? So that's coming. So it's going to get really gloriously messy around here. And those of you that are the most committed to the church, you're like, bring it on. I'll just bring the mess on. 
And those of you that like paved parking lots, you'll find another place to go to church for the next few months. But we'll, we'll be ready for you when you come back, okay? To serve you the turkey and you can watch football while everybody else is working around here, okay? So that's what's going on. But um, here, here's what, what we want to do. As you came in today, uh, you received a bulletin. Everybody received a bulletin. Everybody pull that out. You notice that in the bulletin is a very discreet small envelope, Okay. <laughs> Um, pull that out. Everybody, if you need one, the ushers are coming down the aisles right now. Lift your hand if you didn't get one and you want one, okay? Just keep your hand in the air. The ushers will find you. Quickly, ushers, thank you very much. And this is what you've seen before if you've been around. Maybe nine months ago when we launched this campaign, for some reason you weren't compelled, and maybe now you are, and you're ready to make a, a pledge. Just, you can indicate that. I want to encourage everybody, if you made a gift before, if you've never made a gift, if you're new to Harvest, if you've been around from the first day, would you give a year-end gift to Harvest? All for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission and the disciple-making work around here. You've seen, we've told you everything that we know to tell you about what we do around here, okay? It's amazing, and it's the highest rate of return. The investment has eternal rewards. I don't know what else you're going to invest in. Eternal rewards, you can't beat that, okay? So you can use this envelope to indicate those things. You can bring this back and put it in the offering. Um, each week, we're going to be taking the offering at the end of the service all through December as an act of our worship, an act of our giving. You can mail it in. There's all We make it real easy around here to transfer money from your account to the church account. Okay, You can text to give. You can do the online giving thing. If you need to ask questions from a pastor or uh, a financial team member, we're available to answer those questions as well. Okay, But really what God wants most is your heart. He wants our heart. So we're going to sing in response to all that we've heard this morning. And I trust that if you've never given him your heart, if you've never abandoned your heart, maybe it's because you know that if he gets your heart, he's going to get your money. You're not willing to let go of your money, so you're not willing to let go of your heart. They go together. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And so I want you to just remain seated as we respond. The ushers are coming. They're going to receive the offering now. Mike is going to lead us in this time, but let's abandon our hearts to the Lord.